Ladies and gentlemen, we are again. I'm going to stop saying locked and loaded because that motherfucking president ruined that phrase. So I'm going to stop saying locked and loaded. But it is truly on like Voltron today. Because when I say on like Voltron, it's like bringing all the different parts and pieces together to make this unstoppable force. And today I bring to you the Filipina princess of comedy. Oh my gosh, it's Lila Hart, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my gosh. I got, I got, I got, oh my gosh, it's like, you don't even understand this. This is a huge celebrity here in the Burbank studios today. Oh my gosh, you're the best. That was the most wonderful intro. Well, I so mean, you got you got small talk. You're gonna be a Maxim girl. You're like all these other. You're all over the internet. You're just doing everything. <laughs> all I do is see Lila Hart whenever I look up. I'm just, Lila Hart. That's why I have to have you on my show because you have to tell your story because. Well, I am so honored to be here. You girl. know, I really consider you one of my uh, very very good friends in stand up comedy. I believe in you, and you know, we kind of have. Uh, a special history together. Mm, yes. Uh, no, no, no. It's where we met. It's like, it was like the start of both of our careers, but it, it, exactly. and we have a special bond with a guy named Rembrandt Sibilis mm-hmm. and he brought us together, put us on a show together and we met through him. And unfortunately Rembrandt's no longer with us, but he brought us together and that night was a very special night when we were all talking in the parking lot, talking about what we wanted to do with our dreams and, and what we wanted to do with our comedy, and here you are still doing it. You're still, yeah. and, and, and we're actually your podcast. Well, you know what? <laughs> but the, that that was it. That that night was special because it kind of solidified, in a lot of ways, my place mm-hmm. in where I wanted to go mm-hmm. with the rest of it. Okay, cool. I know how to do stand up. I can do it. I can make people laugh on stage. Cool. What's next? What's the next step? And that conversation between you, me, and Rembrandt was kind of like, here comes the next step. It's like coming together with the other Filipino-American comics. Were you with Rembrandt at the comedy store when I met him? Uh Uh-uh. No, I wasn't. I think that was Joey. So, um, you know, Rembrandt, he approached me at the comedy store. I think I had a show in the belly room. Mm. I think it was on... uh, uh, crack em up in the Shul Murdoch show. Mm, crack em up. Hey, if you listen to this, Michelle, I haven't done crack em up yet, so I would love yes, to do crack em up, up, please. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Michelle's the best. Michelle's awesome. I've met her a few times. So, um, Rembrandt came up to me and I just remember talking to this guy and he had one arm. Mm-hmm. He had one arm, you know, and uh, he, was, he said he was Filipino. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm Filipino too. And he invited me to be on the show that me and you were on mm-hmm. together, which was at the Ha Ha. Mm-hmm. And um, we just really bonded on the fact that, you know, uh, I have spina bifida, so I have a disability. And he, um, with having one arm and going through cancer mm-hmm. and just like the vulnerabilities of being able to talk about some of these difficult things on stage is what really brought us together. And then, you know, like the three of us, we're all Filipino and like we're out here trying to really make it happen and that conversation in the parking lot was just so powerful because it was just like okay this is what we're gonna do and we're gonna and we're gonna go to we're Chicago gonna, we're, we're gonna, gonna, gonna Toronto and we're gonna yeah, yeah no it was like it's gonna be the Filipino posse and yeah you know, here we are yeah. we're ready to go and then it was just like um when he passed away and I think that I we saw each other at the funeral mm-hmm you know, yeah. and... Um, I mean, that was everybody was there. I mean, uh, 
Rex Navarrete was there. I mean, Joey was there. Everybody was there, but it was... But it was just kind of like, I remember having a moment with you where we just kind of like looked at each other like, okay, like, we must continue. Like, we gotta, we got to keep going and, you know, in remembrance of Rembrandt. And like, he had so many more dreams that he wanted to accomplish. And I will just, I just want to say like, I'm so grateful that... I got to do some shows with him. Oh, yeah. I got to just be inspired by his attitude and gratitude for life. Yeah. No, you it's know? the energy and he that was funny as hell. Oh, so he was funny. He was such a great, just a, a, a wonderful me. energy. And when I met Rembrandt, I met him at Ted Benito's fiftieth birthday party, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I remember because I, I, I had spoken to Ted about wanting to do stand-up. At that point, I was still just an actor. Yeah. And and uh, Ted goes, just talk to Rembrandt. And so I talked to Rembrandt. I, I, met, I introduced myself to Rembrandt. And at that point, he was he was still, he hadn't, hadn't had, the cancer hadn't happened. So his arm was totally. So he was two he arms. Was, he has two arms, totally fine, totally regular. You know what I mean? Totally, yeah. totally able. And, and nothing, like, he's, I, I remember him saying that there was like a bump on his arm. Mm-hmm. When when I first met him, it was like a, a there was like a it was a little bump. It wasn't even as big as it had gotten before it was amputated. Um, but it was just you know it was like a, a conversation in passing. And he said he said to me he's like so so you want to do stand up? How many open mics have you done? And I go well I I I, I haven't done any open mics. I just write my comedy. I don't I don't do open mics. He's like well do some open mics and then come back to me. And I go okay fine fine fine. And I did some open mics, and then he, he texted me, on, or he sent me a message on Facebook. He said, so have you been doing some open mics? And I go, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I've been doing some open mics. He's like, you got your five minutes? Are you ready? And I'm like, bro, I've been ready. I've been ready since you asked me. Let's go. Or, I've been ready since I talked to you for our first metric. Let's go, <laughs> right? Now, this is probably like three, four months after I'd met him. So I go, and it's at uh, Shake uh, Shaky Town. You remember when, what haha with that with the with the weird small haha that was like a, a little weird. Do you remember Shaky Town? Mm-hmm. Well, anyhow, that Shaky Town was where we had my first show, and Joey Gilla was there, and 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 Rembrandt was there. Everybody was there, right? And and uh, oh, I think I think even um, Michael Q was even on on uh-huh. and, and and Eli Nicholas. So all the like all the cats, all the Filipino cats, that, like. I even now admire right now. And so I'm on the bill with them. I do my five minutes. And, but, but before that whole thing, I get there, right? Mm-hmm. I'm there and I'm like, I'm ready. And I want to say, I want to just say thank you to Rembrandt for giving me this opportunity. And I walk up to him and he turns and I realize that his arm is gone. So through this whole time of him booking me on the show and me and, and amping me up to go to open mics all through like the DMs and, you know, like all that, he was going through his amputation and cancer all the while still encouraging me. And I had no idea. Right. I had no idea what he was going through. So when I saw him, it was shocking. I'm like, what are you? What, what happened to your arm? He's like, oh, I. You know, he briefly explained because you know how he was. He just briefly yeah. explained. He wasn't. He wasn't about trying to get any any sympathy. And he just briefly explained what happened. I'm like, oh my god. He's like, just do your set and enjoy it. Enjoy. And I did my set. And I just, I just, I was so amazed by his strength. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like it wasn't. It was like almost like he he had a paper cut. 
and it was like nothing. Yeah. And that followed him throughout his whole time. And I was lucky enough and almost lucky, but also it, it, it'll, it'll stick with me for the rest of my life. I was with him on the last day, mm-hmm. right before he passed. I went to his hospital and I was there with his wife and I was there with uh, a few of his old friends. And I remember he, he before I, he was going through a, a lot of pain. But when the pain would subside for a little while, I was there and we talked about doing shows in Chicago and Toronto and New York and Vancouver. You know, mm-hmm. we, he was still, even at the last day, thinking about what's next. What are we going to do? How are we going to take over the world with Filipino-American comedy? Yeah. And... It's a, it's a tra- it's it's sad when I think about it, but it's also God to go out like that and to never want to give never give up no matter what. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a lesson. I would I would say that um, thinking back on just like the last four years of stand up and uh, that time in the parking lot, like I think he would be so proud, so proud. To see how far that you've come. So far that both of us have come, girl. You know, um, just thinking about, like, the shows that we've done together and the things that we are planning to do in the future. Like, I think he would just be so proud to know that... um, Well, it's what he started. ...continued to work as hard as we've had and, uh, you know, uh, continue the legacy and continue what he started, you're right. Well, and you know, the thing is, is that part of it was Rembrandt was able to serve as a bridge from the the first Filipino-American comedy tour mm-hmm. to now the new future. And what he wanted to do was, you know, take on the new Filipino us, mm-hmm. right? And to have us in, in the mix and include all the old heads. And, yeah. you know, now to be able to kind of have a show where I can reach out to the old heads and... They may come do the show, and you know you always come do the shows, and it's it's just a great, great. It was a wonderful moment that I'll have for my life, and it's mm-hmm. always going to be there because it was the it was the starting point of it all. It's where everything everything began, and the thing is, is like yes, cool. I've done a lot, and you talking on my podcast, but <laughs> girl, Miss Lila Hart, you are doing so many things and involved with so many... And the thing about it is, is I was so floored, not even just by your comedy, because you're hilarious. Oh, thank you. (laughs) But your, your, your strength and your, and your, 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 uh, I can't even think of the word, but the, the, you embody representation matters oh thank you for real thank you so much you know um uh just speaking on more on the filipino stuff uh we just moved my show small talk with lila hart to barcada in hollywood what i saw that which is the uh filipino restaurant Mm -hmm. so shout out to jay the lounge it's a beautiful spot too y'all gotta come if you are in la you gotta come (laughs) see barcada and And the food is amazing 
So uh, we just had our eighth episode of Small Talk, which but the first episode at Barcada, Bar mm-hmm. and um, it was just amazing. You know, I started small. You had my girl Kalia. Oh, Kalia McNeil is hilarious. The very first miscellaneous brown karaoke comedy spectacular all-star. She is just... She's the best. She's She's, hilarious. She was on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She's been on so much. She is doing it. You know, and not not only that, uh, she's she's so supportive. She's the best. You know, and... When anytime you have her on any of your shows, not, not only is she going to bring it and kill it, like she supports other people and she's laughing and she's having a good time. She brought know? a fake guitar <laughs> and a whole costume set up when she sang Bohemian Rhapsody for Miscellaneous Brown Oh my Karaoke. She's a badass. She's a badass. Karaoke, karaoke queen right there. She's a badass, period. <laughs> Bad, period, <laughs> ass, period. Oh, Kalia yeah, McNeil. She's awesome. Her. So um, that episode should be coming out at uh, the end of next week. My okay. boyfriend, Eric Abenante, is the director and editor of my Shout show. out to your boyfriend. Yeah. I've met him a few times, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's and awesome. Uh, we, um, the show's on Channel 310, which we have all of our other uh, shows on there. But right now, Small Talk is the main thing. We also had Arthur Hamilton's comedy special, Shut Your Ass Up, come out on the network. That's awesome. super exciting, you know. Arthur Hamilton is hilarious. Oh, he's so he's funny. Because I'm going to have, because this is, uh, Crazy Funny Asians is mm-hmm. a show for us, right? Uh-huh. It's for Filipino Americans, Chinese American, Japanese American, all my friends in the Asian American community and yeah. Pacific Islander community here in Los Angeles. That's what this is for. But coming soon at the beginning of the year, I'm probably going to start doing two podcasts a week. Yeah. And I want to do the Miscellaneous Brown Show. Hell yeah. And so that's going to be where I want to have everybody, like all well, the you different. You definitely have to have Arthur Hamilton. Yeah, I want Arthur Hamilton is fire. Oh, I, you can't, so I can't even sit down and have a conversation with Arthur Hamilton without busting out laughing. Just even the way that he, just in the his delivery of how he just speaks is like he speaks in stand up. He he's, does. he's hilarious. He totally does. He's you know, hilarious. He's one of my best friends. We we have a Lila and Arthur adventures. You know, like we'll go out and hang out for the day, and he's just so awesome. We talk all the time, and it's true. I really feel like um, with my channel three one zero team, I've surrounded myself with such talented people that are not only people I work with, but they they're really truly my best friends. And when all of your friends are really talented and funny like you're writing jokes and you don't even realize it's happening you know exactly. so uh i will say like the last year and a half two years of my comedy career is really accelerated just because i've really worked on surrounding myself with talented people who are working hard you know and i've got to really give a shout out to my channel 310 team make sure to check that out subscribe channel 310 and also follow her on Instagram. Yeah. What is it? What's Instagram again? My Instagram is Love Lila Hart. You can also check out Small Talk with Lila Hart. <laughs> See, she got so many properties. On Instagram. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, stand up has truly been this amazing journey. I, I want to say that once I started stand up, it was like my new life started. Mm-hmm. It was like this stand up has become this whole new chapter. Right, where I remember there was a time I was at the Hollywood Improv, it was like a year into stand-up, and I was like standing there, and I had this like moment of realization of, oh my god, I'm totally okay with the fact that I have spina bifida and scoliosis and I'm four foot six because if I didn't have this disability, 
I wouldn't be a comedian, you know? And that moment of really kind of feeling completely okay with where everything was at my life was beautiful. And it's like being a stand-up comedian, it doesn't matter the good, the bad, the ugly that happens in life. I know I'm going to write a joke about it. So, you know, all the lessons really just become comedy. And it's a it's a beautiful thing. And I loved what you said about um, embodying representation. Mm-hmm. You, you are. Know? You do. Because it's not... You, yes, Filipina for sure, mm-hmm. right? But it's not just that. I mean, for any person who has any type of disability at all, for anybody who thinks that they can't do it because of whatever cards that they've been dealt, they can look at you and they can say, golly, if Lila can stand up on stage and make these people laugh and talk about her coochie all the time... <laughs> Anybody can do it. No, but for real, you you set such a wonderful you know, example for everybody. Guess, like, I'm so happy that my daughters get to see you do your thing. I, 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 I'm so happy, like, when you came to the backyard and did your thing, and man, oh, and, and they got show. the and they got to see you. Do, I, for real, like it, that means a lot to me because all different also, shapes and sizes. Also half is like me, you know. Yeah, so. but that, but that's <laughs> that, no, that's exactly it. It's uh, you I know, told them that I said, you know, that she's half Filipina, just like you guys. For real, because well, I I, it's one of those things where you you truly do embody that because the more people see and hear your story, it's inspirational. Well, I think what it what it is is um, when you're truly willing to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. and you can still be vulnerable and show strength, Mm -hmm. of course. And when when you're willing to really share your story it allows other people to realize that hey i'm not alone you know and i think that's what we all truly want to know is that i'm not alone in this and that there's somebody else that understands and that i think that's the beauty of stand-up is that we just go out there on stage and we bear it all and it's it's truly uh um amazing to me that i am on stage talking about things that just five years ago really hurt me. No. You know, yeah. and I... And like I the really transformation you had from when you weren't a stand-up to now how you yeah, are a stand-up is like, like a, it's so it's crazy. Just, um, just the word disabled, spina bifida, midget, crippled, those words used to really make me feel ashamed. I feel you. And now the shame has been removed and I feel empowered. Like I, I feel empowered as a disabled stand-up Filipino-American woman, like, I feel empowered by that. And that's also why, you know, I, I, I shifted and wanted to move my show to Barcada because I really also want the part of me that is a Filipina to be, uh, I want, my Filipina heritage means so much to me as well, mm-hmm. you know, and my mom, my mom is Filipino, my dad is from Louisiana, and <laughs> My mom is my number one supporter in all of this. Your mom is everyone's number one supporter. She'd be liking my stuff, for goodness sakes. No, she loves you. I just told her I was on the way here to to the studio to shoot with you, and she was... Thank you for all your support. Yes, Esper Hart. Esper Hart, and follow her on Instagram, because she'd be... She'll comment on your stuff and support you and make you feel Oh, she's the best. She's the best number one fan. You know, and it's just... My why, my why is like, why am I doing this comedy? What is the ultimate Mm -hmm. uh, dream for this? And it's, my mom comes from a very small, poor uh, uh, province in the Philippines, Mm -hmm. right? And she's one of eight kids. And she made it to America. She's the only one in the United States that's supporting our family in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And my family's in the Nalupian Bataan province. And my dream is to make it really big here 
in LA doing stand-ups that I can go back to the Philippines and I can like build a school, fix the roads, fix the houses, you know, like I just, I want to help my family. And that's my big why. And I feel like for me, if my mom can make it to the United States, I was born here. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was born here. I'm already in Los Angeles. Yes. I may have a disability, but fuck it. You know what I mean? Like this is, I can walk, I'm doing my thing. And also, you know, it's, Having spina bifida, it's very interesting because um, basically what spina bifida is, it's uh, it means split spine. So mm-hmm. when I was born, there was a hole in my back, and um, they had to do an operation to close the hole with all the nerve endings. So I spent three months in the hospital. My parents were able to take me home for three months. I had a 12-hour surgery at nine months old, and um, with the possibility to my parents that I was most likely not going to be able to walk, I would have learning difficulties, and you know all of these things that is very scary to mm-hmm. know about your child. And my mom, being the strong Filipino woman that she is, just like you know, really refused to accept a lot of those things. And yeah. I remember being in the day before kindergarten. Mm. I remember my mom had this like poster board and she had a stick and she was like pointing at these letters. She's like, what is this letter? You know? And it was like A, B, or C. You know, like the sure. alphabet. She was drilling you. She was drilling me. And if I got it wrong, you know, so people moms just find another Hi. stick. Okay, yes, yeah. So, <laughs> and my sisters, you know, my older sisters were in their back there like trying to mouth the words and trying to help me, you know, and... You have to, how many sisters do you have? Two older sisters. Okay. And so, my two sisters were born in the Philippines and my dad like adopted them and brought them to America. So, um, but it, he's always considered that he has three daughters, sure. you know, and four grandchildren, and that those are his girls, too. So, um, my mom was just so big on education and reading. I mean, like, I would come home and read so many books, and, like, that's what my mom would have me do. Yeah. Read and write and, and do all of these things, and um, I truly have to say, like, that my mom... Her strength and her perseverance in, like, never giving up and um, always believing me is, like, what made me the woman I am today. I remember being in the fourth grade, and this is when I really, like, realized, like, wow, everybody at school is bigger than me, and I'm not going to be, like, I'm the smallest person at this school. And the... Like you, you realize yeah. the difference. The kindergartners and first graders were taller than me, and that annoyed the shit out of me. I'm like, <laughs> everybody's going to think I'm in first grade, but I'm a fourth grader, and this is so annoying. What can I do to, like, fix this? I need people in this school to respect me. Like, these were my thoughts in the fourth grade. So I came home from school. I was on the bus. I came home from school. went straight to my mom. I'm like, I'm going to run for ASB president, Associate Student Body President. Mm-hmm. I wrote my speech that night, and I practiced. I would just practice all my speeches or, like, anything for school in front of my mom. And my slogan in the fourth grade was, I may be small, but I can make a big difference. Vote for Lila Hart. Yes. And in my mind, I was like, okay, elections are coming up. My mom went to school with me. We put all my posters up that said, I'm, you know, vote, have a heart, vote for Lila Hart, vote for a sweetheart, Lila Hart, you know, like all these things. My mom hung up the posters with me and I was like, okay, I'm going to memorize my speech because I think it'll be much more impressive to when I'm in front of the entire school. I don't want to have note cards. I'm going to memorize my speech. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do my speech and tell these kids why they need to vote for me, right? Yep. And I remember I was running against Jordan Alexander. You even remember I your... remember my competition's name. Well, Jordan I remember Alexander. my competition's name when I ran, too, because I ran for president, too. We'll, we'll talk about that he, later. Um, his, his slogan was, don't be a salamander, vote for Alexander. I'm like... 
stupid. We're not going to turn into amphibians, That's but stupid. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. Hey, what was, what was his name? Alexander. Jordan Alexander. Jordan Alexander. Alexander. That rhyme scheme was horrible. Well, you know what? It's okay. Salamander <laughs> Alexander. Salamander. You could have just. Alexander. Like you were going to turn into some amphibians. That was, but, that was a dumbass. <laughs> you should fire your campaign <laughs> <fourth> manager. Grade. <laughs> so, um, I, I end up winning. Uh-huh. I won. Of course you won. And I remember, so in fifth grade, I'm ESP president. And now the kids at school are opening doors for me. I say El Presidente in the R-E-S-P-C-T. House. So, I ran for fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. I was president fifth grade, sixth grade, and seventh grade of my school. Eighth grade, I ran against Taylor Olson. And her slogan was, give someone new a chance. She was, she was, she was, she was the vote for change. Yes, the vote for change. She was giving someone new a chance. She was like, get, but really, it get was, rid of this Lila regime. Yes, exactly. And you know, by that time, we're like entering junior high and, you know, I had lost my reign of power. Taylor had tits. I was still short, oh, you know, so. Taylor had tits and. Yeah. Look, so, I, look. So she won that, that round. But anyway, she's do you have a bit about this? Please tell me you do. You should because I'm starting to do because I, I I talked about I, I'm starting to talk about my uh, my senior class presidency mm-hmm. because it was inspired because you know how my all my shit is inspired by TV I watched mm-hmm. or stuff I saw on TV everything I, like all the jokes are right and uh, the Brady Bunch Greg Brady uh-huh. he was senior class president when I was watching the Brady Bunch. <laughs> And so I vowed to myself, like, See, this if there was is why anything, we, we were both presidents. But girl, no, so for real. So <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't care about great grammar school because I, I knew I wasn't gonna win that shit. I was on, I like the one of three Filipinos and all, like a sea of white folks. I wasn't gonna win that shit. But in public school in Chicago, might have had a chance. So I had four years to build up my reputation, right? And so. It, it coincided with the song OPP. Remember that Naughty by Nature? You know what OPP? Yeah, you know me. Yeah. And my real name, everybody knows, is Frederick. Uh-huh. Right? And so in high school, they called me Freddie. Uh-huh. And so I said Freddie for president. FFP. So everybody in school, when I'd walk down the hallway, was going, You done with FFP? Yeah, you know me. You done with FFP? Yeah, you know. I won. It was a class of seven, <laughs> seven or eight hundred. It was like seven, 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 seven forty, seven fifty class of students. I won by 400 votes. I won like a Yes We Can you Barack Obama landslide. And, uh, wasn't that great? And that and, was and I was sick. and it was it was so because I had started when I was like you know six years old or whatever the fuck it was when I watched the Brady Bunch and <clears throat> Greg Brady was senior class president and then I became senior class president. Boom. Oh my god! See that this is why we vibe. But it's you know, just we're presidents. We're, we're presidents. Yeah, this we're bosses. Why, what <laughs> um, you know. It was, I was so sad when I had lost that, that the election, but oh. I went on to do FCCLA, which was Family, Career, Community Leaders of America, mm-hmm. and I became a state officer for this club, and I ended up, when I was in um, high school, like, we had, an, a, the, the club account, because the club had been um, 
they hadn't had it in many years and we mm-hmm. like restarted. So there was this account with like $10,000 in it that we were allowed to use for our club. And you best believe I went to all the state leadership meetings. I went to Washington, D.C. I brought my two friends with me. It was my senior year. We drained that account. We're like, peace. You know, like, <laughs> I love we it. drained that account. It was so funny. Um, Shout out to Miss Kasky. Kim Kasky, that was my teacher at the time. And mm-hmm. she, I, she was my home ec teacher in eighth grade yeah. and then she ended up moving with us to the high school so we could start like the club mm-hmm. and it was it was just an amazing time so it was like forget I forget the ASB I was on to FCCLA and it was on and gone and it was you know we, I went to San Diego I went to Orlando Florida you know it was fun and it was all these like leadership type um type uh retreats uh-huh. but I really think that you know, my background in public speaking during that time mm-hmm. was, is kind of what correlates to like me doing stand-up because even when I was um, when I was 11, I used to go to the Marysville YMCA and my mentor at the time was J.J. Frank, mm-hmm. who is, uh, he started the Minority Achievers Program at the YMCA. So I was part of the Minority Achievers Program and J.J. Frank would bring me to all these big events and these galas and I would I was 11 and I would speak and ask people to donate to the YMCA and wow. my slogan was um, just like the Energizer Bunny keeps going and going I hope that you keep giving and giving to the YMCA because it makes a big difference in kids lives like mine Yeah. and imagine an 11 year old girl saying that people oh, are like man, yes they're, here's they're, a check oh you know? my gosh they were so, like oh so I helped raise like a million dollars for our local Mary's Oil. That is awesome. And also, this is so funny too. I remember I, and I can't believe my parents let me do this, but I lived in this like, it was a pretty normal neighborhood. I knocked door to door at like 12 years old and like asked people to donate and I would like do this like pitch, like at 12 and Wait, knocking and door to door. In you're my doing this all alone. <laughs> my gosh. I know. And people would give me the money. It was great. And I raised like, I think that year I raised like $3,000. No, but the but, hustler in you was there from the start. Yeah. The hustler so, was there from the start. I think that um, a lot of, you know, a lot of stand-up is being able to connect with the audience, right? Mm-hmm. And to be being able to make them feel like this story that you're telling is the first time that you're telling it. You know, we're just hanging out at like a family barbecue and mm-hmm. I'm telling you this story. Oh, that, I remember that. that my, one of my favorite jokes that you've ever told is, wow, my career is going really well and... Here in my Kuya's backyard doing bad comedy. <laughs> because you just use your environment, and you and that's what we do as stand-ups. We, it, it's it's funny because I want to talk to you about Maxim. Like oh, I want to yeah, know, so, like okay. I want to know about that stuff. So um, there's a competition called the Maxim 2019 Cover Girl mm-hmm. competition, and you can apply online. And you submit your pictures and. I remember, like, a couple years ago, like, I did it, and I didn't get chosen. And then, like, this year, I was just like, you know what, screw it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit my pictures. I'm going to do it. And I got chosen to yes. do it. And so I made this video where I kind of just talked about how... I'm not going to lie. Like, when, when I got the email and they said, like, you know, you have been, you're eligible to be in the competition, like, I, it made me kind of, like, I, like, I cried because I was happy because it made me realize, like, wow, I've come so far. So far. So far in my, like, level of acceptance and a love for my body because just 10 years ago, yeah. I literally was ashamed of the fact that I had spina bifida. Yeah. There's no way that I would, like, 
want to pose in front of a camera and like really bear it all and show that. But and it's still amazing to me that you you were still at twelve making speeches for the YMCA and yeah. doing all that stuff. Well, but you but but you, know, but okay, you didn't so even like, have a good. You still weren't like in the in the full well, power of Lila. You, you know, know what I, mean? I think that because when when you're like when you're a kid and you're doing speeches, you know, you're still like that. You're you're, you're like that. You're young kid youth, and then like you kind of go through like changes as you get older. And like as I got into college, when I like really realized like you know I am. I'm not going to be, I'm going to be four foot six. This but is what it is. What it I is. have spina bifida. I walk a little bit different. And, you know, I also had guys straight up say to me when I was in university, I really like you, Lila, but we have to date in secret. I like, I can't be with you in, uh, people can't know like that we're really together, you know? For so, real? This is real. This is so real. Because even think about this, when I was at Washington State University, I wanted to be in a sorority so freaking bad. And I rushed in sorority where you literally, you go to 15 houses. It's like a week long rush uh-huh. and you interview with the girls. They like sing to you, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the week, you get given like what houses wanted you. And literally none of the freaking houses wanted me. So I was mm-hmm. like, uh, what the hell, you know? And me and my best friend, Heaven Snow, which, uh, so there's like 600 girls on the lawn at the, at the university. We like got off, like she was this five foot six, tall, beautiful, blonde haired, blue eyed, gorgeous freshman that could have mm-hmm. been in any sorority when she found out that none of the houses wanted me she was like screw this shit i'm leaving and i will never forget getting off the lawn walking with her looking back at like 600 freshmen at washington state university them being like they're really leaving and she was my best friend for like the next four you know four years of, of college course, that's and, awesome and um so you know you're going to parties you're in college and at this time like because i never had a boyfriend in high school like i didn't um uh no guys like really like dated me in high school and it's and I mean you were doing so much as far as like academically it was like one of those things where you didn't have to worry about when I got to college you know and then you're drinking and you're doing this it's like all the social circles in college is different I uh I felt like a lot like guys would were hitting on me and were like attracted to me but you know people aren't really comfortable with themselves so it was still like oh well my friends are gonna make fun of me because you're a midget which is just like so crazy to think that that was said to me but it was and I think a lot of that like really um it shaped some of my self-esteem when it came to that and I like accepted you know they say that we accept the love that we believe that we deserve so you know I I think that because I was still kind of figuring out like I was okay with that because I wanted some form of intimacy right and I made a video when I was in college called my secrets you guys mm-hmm. look it up on YouTube just like my secrets love the heart and where I like um I had wrote on piece of papers like things that I felt like insecure about you know and one of the things was it said that um I love my face but I'm really insecure about my body mm. right and that the meanest thing anybody had ever called me was a crippled bitch and, like, this is, uh, it was my best friend at the time when I was 18, got into this fight, and she called me a crippled bitch, and it was just, like, I mean, it, I mean, it's still, like, it's 10 years later, and it still sticks no, with me, no, you know when, what I mean? No, when, when, when you fight with your friends, they know exactly what to say, because they, mm-hmm. you know, they know everything that will hurt you, and yeah. if they have to hurt you, they'll, you know, they'll, unfortunately, they'll use the, the silver bullet that they know will hurt you the most. Yeah, well, I ain't friends with that bitch no more, so good. good. Fuck that so, bitch. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> You know, I I made this video, and then to think that 10 years later, like, I would use the same video with the Maxim thing, and it was just, it's not about winning, okay? It's not about winning. No. It's It's about showing people that, hey, like, I am good enough to be in this competition. Yeah. And this is what's really interesting. 
I have a, a girlfriend, Andrea. She also has spina bifida like me, and, and she told me, and this like really kind of like touched my heart in a bit. Like she said that when she got the, because um, I, I texted all my friends, I'm like, oh, can you vote for me? She said, Lila. When I looked at that, I was like, oh my god, like we're allowed to do this? Like she said in her mind, she was like, oh my god, like we're allowed, we're allowed to be on this cover because you know, like as a woman with a disability, you know, you think that like, okay, that that's. That's not something I can that, do. You, yeah, you know, that's not. I can't be a Maxim girl. I can't. I can't be a yeah, I can't. Girl, I, you know? I can't be on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. That's okay. It's, it's cool. It's, yeah. I, not everybody gets to do that. That's okay. It's okay. Yeah. So for me, it's just about showing people that like you can. Yeah, I can, and it's it's okay to have a disability. There's nothing wrong with my disability, no. and you know, the more that we put ourselves out there, and the more that we kind of just show the world that there's all types of people that are you know, living out there and going after their dreams that it'll be more accepted. You know, I am um, having my, uh, having my Instagram, I've had a lot of people like moms of kids with disabilities reach out to me. And there's this one little girl who I've met up with a couple of times mm-hmm. and had lunch with her and her mom. And she has spina bifida like me. And like, she, our similarities and she's 13 and like our, she's like a mini version of me because just even the way that we stand even the way her body shape the way her legs are it's just like it reminds me of me when I was like 13 yeah and so meeting up for lunch with her means a lot to me you know because I wish that when I was 13 I could have met somebody like me yeah you know so yeah and I was like makes me kind of feel like emotional but no no I feel you girl uh, that's that's it, it like I said, it matters. It matters so representation much. Representation matters, it, and it's it like so you never, nice. you never know what your how your story is going to affect somebody else. How your story is going to inspire someone, and I, I, I just love, I love stand up comedy. I, it's really been such a gift because there was such a long time in my life. I think really from the ages of like. Once I graduated from Washington State, which was in 2013, mm-hmm. I spent a couple of years like traveling. I've been to 20 countries, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell my mom, I used to be like, you know what? If I could have a job that was where I could like talk to people, because that's what I'm good at, you know? I'm just good at talking to people. I can strike up a conversation with anybody, like at the airport, in the grocery store, you know, anybody, anywhere I could talk. If I could just have, that would be a great job, but I just didn't know it was going to be stand-up, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And uh, you know what my dad said to me the first time I did stand up and he saw it in Chicago, right? He what said, did you, say? you should be doing this 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> All those fucking plays you did, you should have been doing this 10 years ago. And it's true. I mean, it's true, but it's not. Because for me, like, like you said, you had to find stand up, and once you found it, you realized where you were at. But I had to find it as well. But we, it's almost like stand up finds us when we're ready yes. for it. Stand up finds us. And I think that everything in your life up until the point prepares you. Mm-hmm. It oh, really yeah. prepares For sure. you. You know, I, I've i been speaking in front of people since I was 11 years old, yeah. you know? And it's like now stand-up, stand-up comedy is the most difficult form of public speaking. Oh, yeah. If I was asked to go to an, uh, an event and just do an inspirational speak, talk, I could do that right no, now no. with my eyes closed. That's you know? easy. I did that. I improvised that shit in <laughs> Chicago when I used to do that. I, I, used, I remember there was this one time where I, cause I used to teach improv workshops in Chicago uh-huh. for high schools and for grammar schools and stuff. And it was usually classes of 30 kids. And I would just do like, you know, some improv games and, you know, talk about concepts of comedy. But, you know, nothing big, right? 
And then one time they called, I got one, got arrived at the school and they're like, yeah, you're going to be in the auditorium and you're going to be addressing the whole school. I'm like, wait, how, huh? how does that even work? So I had to do that for 40 minutes. So instead of doing my normal shtick, I just told my acting story, my inspirational acting story for 40 minutes. And they were like, is that your one man show? And I'm like, no, I just improvise that shit off the cuff. Uh, was it okay? Was it cool? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's, it's really, we, we love the storytelling. Yeah. And the, the beautiful thing about stand-up, why I love it so much, is stand-up ideally is like what everybody, in, in, in theory, anyone could do it, right? Mm-hmm. In theory, anyone could do it. Yes. And how many people have you met that's like, oh, I would love to be able to do that because it's really just you on the microphone. But it's, it's it, I truly believe that it's a gift and then it becomes a skill when you really work on it. You yeah. can have a little bit of the talent, but you've got to work on it yeah. and um, work on it every day with with doing a lot of writing. I'm writing all the time, yeah. you know? And when I'm not performing, I'm writing. When I'm not writing, I'm working on my show. I'm editing. And this t- this is, I, I'm so grateful that I finally, fa- finally have found my calling. Yeah. But now that I've found it, like, we got to keep pushing forward and take it to the top. Because now it's like, like, my mom didn't come to America for me not to continue the legacy. Exactly. And What's next? Around. What's we're next now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going to the Philippines, then we're coming back. And, like, I feel like for me, the next steps is, is reigniting that tour, yeah. the national tour, because there's so many Filipinos all over this country that need to hear your voice for sure and yours well but no yeah I, that that goes without saying girl <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously like i i do feel like it it is we are coming to a point in our lives at, as as stand up comics where where um sometimes i i don't say the whole thing right mm-hmm. I, I don't say stand up comedy mm-hmm. i just say stand up mm-hmm. because that's that's what it is. Mm-hmm. The comedy comes because the comedy comes for funny people. But standing up on stage with that mic in your hand is a different. It's a different gig. It's a different gig. It's a different energy. Yeah. It's and and. There's no editing. It's there's no like you either you either got or you don't, and every audience is different. You know, you yeah. really got to gauge the room. And, and the it's thing, like, and and you also have to, you know, like there's been a lot of talk in comedy now, currently. You know, with the whole Shane Gillis thing and the whole, you know, Bowen Yang and Saturday Night Live and mm-hmm. all the racial words and how the power of words is this and the power of words is that. You just got to, as a stand-up comic, I get it. Whatever you want to do, experiment, push whatever boundaries you want to push. But at the end of the day, you got to deal with what you say. I think that what it is, it's, it's all in context, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's all in context and I just find it so hilarious that as stand-up comedians we are held at such a higher standard oh. or a higher standard than even our president is oh you know my gosh are you we, kidding me it is um yeah it is it is just mind-blowing but I'll say for me I'm always pushing boundaries I'm always working on something and you know, I even had, even in my own comedy career, have had experience where people have told me, like, oh, you can't say that, Lila. You know, like, yeah. with saying the M word, saying midget. I, like, I can't, I sh- I can't say that. But if, know, if there's anybody who can, it's you because you it, actually it, are. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, the sh- thing is, the way I feel about it. You know what I'm saying. I, I feel it like this. 
I'm not saying it. When I, whatever I'm talking about in my comedy is not being said to hurt you. Correct. Like, it's not being said to hurt you. It's being said because it's part of my story and it's something that used to hurt me. And by performing my art in this mm. fashion, I am. I heal every time. You're and I'm trying to heal It's therapy other through that. It, you know? it, it really is. And I. Oh, this is this is this is my role. If you have a joke that is offensive. You should be able to say it in a room filled of the people that it would offend the most. Like, for example, if you have a joke about somebody in a wheelchair, you should be able to say that joke in front of everybody Everybody. in the room is in a wheelchair. Yes. Then it's a good joke if if it makes the people laugh. Correct. Because, like, okay. But if it's not, if your offensive joke is not a joke that you could say in front of the people it would offend the most, then you need to work on it. That's how I feel about it. Then it's probably not a joke. Is what I'm in in a lot of ways because it is a skill. Like Dave Chappelle said, a lot of uh, controversial things in Sticks and Stones, and a lot of people got mad, right? Mm-hmm. But I think as as a comic, he skillfully did it yes. in a way where he set it up and justified everything that he did. Yes, it's context. There's so much context in every. If you take just one line, sure, you be offended. But you have to listen to the entire thing as a whole right. and understand where this person is coming from. And I think as comedians, too, we say a lot of the things that people are thinking, but they're afraid to say out loud. Correct. And I will not be silenced. I will not. I, I just I, I just think that we, we also live in this culture now where we're just so just like caught up in. But it's not. It's, it's, it's not even. It's not this culture. Michael Richards th- f- mm-hmm. fell, fell prey to that before. You know, this This has happened. I remember a Backstreet Boy said some stupid shit after 9-11, and it was all crazy. But everybody's always... This this country has been sensitive since I've been born, since the <laughs> 70s. Come on. I mean, I grew up in the, in the 80s and the 90s with Ronald Reagan, and you want to talk about sensitive, and you couldn't mention the word sex in the 80s on TV. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it, I mean, this country has always been so god damn sensitive about everything and everybody tries to find something to be mad about especially because you want to find something to type on your twitter that you can say because you can't think of anything to say and you got to say something right so it, it i i think a lot of it is just we can hear it now yeah. everybody can be heard now because everybody got a twitter everybody got an instagram which every, is also which is great the beauty of yes uh, of, of our world exactly because it's like you know you can make it happen for yourself i think that's I feel like a lot there's a lot less gatekeepers there's there's very few now and, and and that's why i feel like the response to like um shane using the word the you know the c word right was so swift because as Asian Americans, we now have a voice mm-hmm. in media. I mean, Crazy Rich Asians made $160 million. You want to you mess around with us? Let's go. Because we, t- we can take a lot of money out of here and we can make our own shit and you don't have to worry about any of it. You can't profit from any of it. Because, because I feel as an Asian American now, especially with this podcast, especially with doing stand-up, I feel so empowered to the point yes. where I'm, I'm tired of it. You can tell you're a small Asian dick joke or you can tell your, you know, say your use your shitty accent and then I'll do a better one with a character behind it, with context behind it and make you look stupid. You you know know, what I mean? I just feel like touch on as a comedian, talk about things that directly correlate and affect you in some way, shape or form. 
You know, I talk about disabilities. I grew up. I, I have a disability. Be personal you know, with it. Be yeah. Personal, and then that way, no one can. No one can. No one can live your life. So, you know, we all have a unique story. And I think a lot of people who are outraged just need to clean their damn rooms. For real. You know, people just need to clean. Clean your room and you feel better. For real. I was like, look, <laughs> don't tell me what I should or should not be offended at. And at the same clean time. clean your room, people. For real. Clean your room. Get some home training. <laughs> you know it. And say what you're going to say. Deal with what happens after you, after you say it. And then... You know, put the mic down because your five minutes is up. We lit you fucking uh, a minute ago. Get off the stage. That's it. Yeah. You know, there's not much else to say. I mean, and, and whatever happens after that is kind of what happens. That's we're putting it out there. Just like this podcast, we're putting it out there. We're putting this beautiful story of Lila Hart out there oh. into the Internet. No, but I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy that you are on my show but not only that I'm so happy that you're in my life seriously yes. because your energy your strength your inspiration is is such a, a guiding light for me in my comedy because everything that I see you do I'm like let me let me hurry up and catch up to Lila because <laughs> she just I mean I don't know how with how short she is she get go so fast I can't even catch up to her because it's just you're yeah, and, and I, that's what I, I truly appreciate about, about you. I feel like every time that we've connected or done shows together or just done any project together, you are so, uh, you just, you want to see everybody win, you know? And you, you're one of those people that really realizes that, like, there's room for all of us, you know? And, like, the, when you lift other people, it's, like, it's, I think that being more um, generous and being kind and being... Like, I, I'm not trying to be a good person. I'm just trying to be a kind person. Sure, no, you know, I feel you. Along I feel the way. you. And because at the like, I know what it's like to be left out and to feel not included. And Me I just, too. You know, I you're really one of those people that I feel like you're, you, you're so about inclusion and you're so supportive. And I support you. And I'm so happy to be on this podcast. I'm so excited that you know you'll be on this. again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we wind it down. I mean, it's like we, we, we come down to our. I, know, we could I mean, we could, go, we could go Lord of the Rings, Lila Hart. For like three, four hours, if you want, but we we can't, we shouldn't do that because you know people got shit to do. I understand. (laughs) Can't be hearing all of our stories just yet. You can have some now, and and we'll get some more later. We'll be good. We need miscellaneous Brown show, and then you know when we go live and with cameras and everything. I mean, the future is so bright, and the future is so bright here at Crazy Funny Asians. So please do subscribe and share this with your friends obviously share Lila's beautiful story I mean this podcast I knew that this this podcast was going to be great I didn't think it was going to make me cry like three times because (laughs) I mean I didn't cry like you didn't hear me in my voice I knew my voice didn't crack I know because I'm trying to keep my you know professional but there were tears welling up in my eyes some of these beautiful stories that Lila thank you for sharing so much and you know Lila will be back soon, and we'll be back again next Friday with another one. But also, since this podcast, we have now kicked off. We are in October, and we are in Filipino American History Month. Okay, how crazy is this? Filipino American History Month, and also Spina Bifida Awareness Month. Boom! So, so there, I got the double dose. You got the double <laughs> dose of representation in October. <laughs> October is your month. Yeah. October so is your month, and but Lila is one of the Filipinos that I am featuring this month as Filipino Americans making history right now and that's it 
Lila Hart. Follow her everywhere. Thank you. Share this story. And thank you for listening. This has been Crazy Funny Asians, and I am Miscellaneous Brown. (laughs) Peace, y'all.